There's a whole crowd of men out there who need this. Welcome to the case study. This case study will be marked down in time. Known to all as the record keeper of the historic rise of the woke man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, welcome, gentlemen. I don't know if any women will be listening to this, but quite frankly, I don't care. What I want is to see the change in man. Yes, that's hurt. The change in man. This is the Woke Man series, where you hear the stories of men who changed, who laid to rest their old ways of thinking, and who opened up and started expressing their truth. Revealing emotion, strengthening their self-awareness, and breaking free from the old paradigm of being a man. This is going to help men find the courage to open up, to break the shackles of toxic masculinity, and to guide them home in becoming a better man. Let's go. Oh, by the way, it's Luca. Luca Reedy from the Feeling Alive podcast. And The Woke Man is a sub-series. You're welcome. Welcome back to another episode of The Woke Man series, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest case study on man. We we're talking about the conscious journey of the masculine energy and how we're shifting out of that narcissistic behavior into the new age man. And I'm here with a new age man, Mr. Jay Pearden. How are you, brother? Very, very well. How are you? Very good, bro. Very good. Thank you very much for joining me. It's been a Thank pleasure. You yeah, it's been a pleasure to hear a, a bit about you. Obviously, this is the first time we meet, and it's so beautiful to see like people finding the Wokeman series and just being like, "Yep, coming in," and it's coming at all directions. And so, yeah, getting to understand a bit of your story before this, I'm really excited for this interview. Yeah, same. I'm kind of keen to you know chill out, talk some stuff, Jam. talk life, and see where this journey goes as we as we begin to. You know, just riff with one another. Cool, brother. Well, the first question is the most hardest question, the, dif- the most difficult question. And that's where did you grow up and where do you live now? Oof, gee whiz, eh? Uh, I'm Perth. I'm a Perth boy. So I've grown cool. up here my entire life. Um, I grew up in Greenwood, a little northern suburb. Yeah. Um, with my parents and absolutely just like, you know, the, my mom is my rock, my soul, as is my sister and my father. Um, so I grew up with them my whole life, same family home, never moved. So um, it's something, you know, when I was younger, I think I was like, oh, God, you know, get out, get me out of here. And as I've now moved out, moved out of home, um, it's like it's it's a sanctuary. It's, it's such a sacred place that I love going back to. And it has holds so much treasure and so much warmth for me. But now, yeah, I live um, uh, I live, live in Mount Lawley area. Um, so I'm right next door to Wapa because I study there. And I'm there basically nine to five every day of the week. Um, so I kind of moved out during my second year and I was like, I need to be closer to campus because I was just yeah. commuting back and forth so much. Yeah, crazy. Commute, man. How old are you now? 24 or oh, 23. Just jump my own age. Yeah. <laughs> <24 this year. laughs> wow, man. Cool. So good on this journey, man, at a younger age. It's awesome. What are you doing for a, for a living? Uh, right now, um, I'm <laughs> sweet FA. 
Yeah, sweet FM, man. Like, oh, that's the, you know, the student actor's life. Um, I mean, yeah. it probably is it's most actors' life. I don't know if you know this, but the Australian actors, 85% of Australian actors are unemployed. Um, uh, and that's, that's professional actors. That's not just like, that's across the board. It's, a, you know, the industry obviously got completely fucked by COVID and having no government expenditure or help whatsoever. But in my position right now, I'm very lucky. Um, I've worked at a cinema for seven, eight years now and I love it there and they've kept me on and wow. we've got JobKeeper, which is a, a big help. Um, and as a student, I'm on Centrelink. So, you know, I don't, don't have a partner. I don't have any kids that I know of and I don't have, um, you know, I don't have much to look after other than just kind of rent and food and my own kind of general health and well-being. So I feel very blessed that I can kind of be in this student position when I'm taking yeah. care of myself. Do you feel like there's, do you feel like there's a bigger reason why you're okay and behind, you know, you know, you cosmically, do you feel like you're being looked after because there's a purpose behind what you're doing? No, man, like I've, I've never considered it like that. Um, in, in all honesty, I said to myself before this interview, I think like any question that arises, I need to move through with my instincts and my impulses, um, and answer from that place. And like, I've actually just never considered it like that. And but I think in some ways I have. And so, yeah, like I, I, I do everything I can. Like I'm always learning and fuck man, I've made some mistakes and I've, <laughs> I've been cruel and I've been unkind and I've, I've, I've been a guy in this world that's been conditioned as a white Caucasian male. Yeah. But I do everything I can every day to move from my heart, from a place of vulnerability and love, like first and foremost and always love. And so I think that, yeah, like, you know, how I see it now, whatever the universe puts out for me or around me, I just, uh, I, look I look towards it with love and, and grace and gratitude and do everything I can to help those around me. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And so I don't think we actually touched on what you do. You're a student, but you're... Uh, yeah, so, oh, yeah, so exactly what I do. Um, I'm an actor, so uh, I consider myself a professional actor, but I'm in my third year of training at the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. Um, which is yeah an institution um, for it's quite, it's uh, quite renowned, right? Well, yeah, but... yeah. So some alumni that went there in recent years, like Hugh Jackman, is a big one that kind of came out of there. Uh, Jai Courtney, Dave Montgomery um, is probably the biggest, most recent alumni who did Stranger Things and um, has gone off to do. Oh, he's the guy from. Um, he's the, the had the mullet in Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, and he played the Red Power Ranger. Is as he well. is he West Australian? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. He grew up in Mount Um So he was he he graduated two years before I started. Um, and then I've got one of my best mates. He was with him and it's fine. I'll, I'll quick little story, but yeah, he, yeah. Um, he went off to hang out with Daker on the set of stranger things. Um, when he got onto it and then when I got into WAP, I was in first year and my mate, Sam, he was in third year and we just grow really close. He's a, a beautiful human being with a huge heart, huge inspiration in my life. And then I got into third year this year. Um, so I went through, he graduated. And he's actually, he was in Vancouver. Um, he was filming for Sabrina on Netflix. Yeah. And he was in the newest season of that. So it's kind of weird how it's kind of gone full circle. But he okay. is, you know, a new alumni that people recognize in time to come. Wow. But yeah, it's an amazing, it's an institution, conservatoire training, um, nine to five, Monday to Friday, plus on top of that, usually in on weekends. And that goes from more or less February through to November Incredible. each year. January and December, January off, and then you back in, and it's honestly, it's it's life training, man. We're training to be better human beings, and in turn, we become better actors. Yeah, and 
that's literally what it is. You, you learn everything you, you move from, you got acting voice and body yeah. and you basically uh, explore all those areas of yourself, um, asking all sorts of questions, exploring how you use your voice, a voice every day, how you've been conditioned and how that's affected your voice. How one little moment when you're a kid, when someone said no to you has made you start to speak with a certain lisp or, you kind of, you're afraid to talk to someone, mm. how your body interacts in a space because of the way in which you've been brought up. So when I walked in the doors for the first time, it was always chest raised because there was a certain masculinity that I had to bring and certain expectations that I put on myself, mm. being six foot two and kind of a taller guy with black hair. And then that actually creates chest tension, which impacts my voice, which impacts my throat, which then in time impacts my spine and my posture and a whole bunch of other things. So it's really like a complete deconstruction of the body yourself as an instrument and then working and maneuvering it. So you're really kind of um, taking care of, uh, you know, taking care of your guitar, which is your body. Um, yeah. So true, bro. Wow. So what's one thing you're really good at? Is it acting or is there something else? <laughs> I guess a bit of everything, man. I um, Someone asked me the other day, they were like, you know, will you graduate next, you know, you graduate at the end of this year, start of next year, what, what do you think you're going to do? Like, where, where are you going to be? And I was like, everything. Like I've always, I've always been, I've loved everything. And I, I did a film degree before this. I want to be making films. I want to change the landscape of the, the Australian film industry. I think it's, um, mm. there's some incredible independent films out there and some amazing filmmakers, but the biggest stuff that's um, exported to Australia and that's, you know, given a wide audience, I just don't think it's, it's the voices of the people right now. So for me, it's about like, yeah, telling stories that need to be told stories about like the young 20 year olds in Australia. Like, where are those? Like, where are the feature films of those guys and girls? Um, you don't see them. And then beyond that, like, yeah, acting, filmmaking, creating theatre. Um, I created a piece of theatre last year um, and then producing films. So for me, it's kind of everything. Wow, man. That's incredible. But it's basically anything around the performing arts everything and anything around the performing arts. And then like, if you, you know, beyond that, a huge passion of mine is, um, is both fitness and, you know, plant-based eating and meditation and yoga. So like they're a huge part of my life that I, I really enjoy both speaking about and like giving. So like, you know, I've, I've given a few little like meditations and stuff like that to a class and things. And they're, they're, they're a huge part of my life that I feel equally as strong about when it comes to my art i think it's it's all holistic it's all one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so true well what's your biggest fear then um it's, it's fear man like what what is fear hey like you know fear is fear like that it's fear just the death of the ego is it like it's fear i feel is something that I move into every single day and I move out of like fear is both love and death and life and death at the same time simultaneously. It's, 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 it's the thought of losing something of letting go of something of holding on. I think um, a lot of my fear in my life surrounds uh, where, you know, anxiety arise or, arises or anything like that is around letting go um whether it be letting go of a role letting go of someone i love letting go of something that's you know impacted me letting go of something i've said um the fear that you know i've made a mistake and i've and i've failed and i've failed someone else um Mm. 
turn failed myself. I failed my, my parents, I failed people I love. So, you know, I think, but as much as failure I see is like, you know, that's something I fear. Failure is also, God, it's our greatest success. Without failure, we can't learn. Um, mm. you know, one of my favorite quotes is, try again, fail again, fail better. And you just like, it, it's that constant perpetual cycle. Without it, we can't learn. So I think for me, fail, like fear comes hand in hand with curiosity. And for me, it's been about knowing where my fears are and the unconscious fears and the fears that I've been conditioned to that are habitual, that um, have no place uh, in this world anymore or in my life and noticing them, speaking to them, letting them uh, like uh, arise and uh, allow the space for them to be there and then letting go of them, um, mm. replacing fear with curiosity because that's how we begin right as, as children and that that's that's where imagination is it's where life is itself is in the curious eyes of the, the six month old or mm. the dog in the park where it's just it's spectacular everything to them is without fear mm -hmm. um, but fear is a mechanism of survival so god it's mm. a it's i think it's for me it's a constant dichotomy of, of moving between it trying to bring awareness to it yeah. and not allow it to control me yeah yeah. So like, would you say that, I mean, one of your greatest attributes now is, is moving, moving through fear on a constant daily basis. What's one of the most conditioned fears that you've got? If you talk about like habitual fear that you've been programmed with, like what was one of those? Um, I think uh, achievement, um, achievement and um, competition. Um, mm. Like I, I was, you know, I live like when I was younger, it was all for sports, you know, playing footy as a young kid, I was going to be an AFL player. Mm. Um, and then playing tennis, I was going to be a professional tennis player, mm. playing volleyball, I was going to go play volleyball internationally. Like for me, it was like, it's, and it was always just like, what's the pinnacle? What's the best? And yeah, how can yeah. I climb and climb and climb? And then coming into, I think my first year of training, especially at Whopper Steel, it's like, how can I be the best actor? How can I be the number one? How can I be do? How can I do something that no one else can ever do? Mm. Um, but it just starts with you, and yeah. it's you're enough. Mm -hmm. And when I come to terms with that more and more, it just allows me to stand taller in my work more. It allows me to stand taller in my own work. Allows me to bring a greater vulnerability and depth, and it allows me to kind of let go of that competition because it, there is no competition. It's a game. It's it's what we're kind of conditioned to believe. So. I think, you know, that competition, that passion side of me is never going to go away. Mm. And the more I recognize that and allow that, I think the, the more it simmers down and becomes less controlling when something doesn't quite go your way. Mm. Um, and you can start to see the beauty in it. Mm. That's amazing. So you mentioned your quote, um, your favorite quote, because that's the next question. Can you just tell the listeners and then describe to me what that means to you? Uh, try again, fail again, fail harder. That one. Mm. Yeah. Is that, your, is, that your, is that one of your is that one of your favorites, or is there another one? Jeez, man. There's look. That, that's the one that's on the top of my head right now. So let's let's run with that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, quotes. They're they're funny. Hey, they they come out of nowhere and they they impact you for a moment and you hold mm. on to them for a while and then they vanish again. <laughs> um, like there was a beautiful quote that I heard recently about. Um, uh, to do with uh, Buddhism and uh, presence and like 
what the something to do with like i'm going to screw this up terribly it's to do with like what the buddha values mm. and um or like where are you so like what's enough what can never be enough and the buddha just like places his hand on the ground um on the grass and that's it and that was the answer and that's just something mm. to stay I totally screwed up that quote, but yeah. Um, fail again, try, try again, try, try harder. Sorry, fail again, try again, try harder. That's it. Yeah. It's a quote by Samuel Beckett, who's a playwright. He's an absurdist playwright. And he developed his plays during the depression and through an era where it was like, we have no mean, um, we mean nothing. Um, and not in the... I guess it's somewhat kind of nihilistic, but it was not, I don't, I don't read it that way. And I think mm. he's, he's plays are far more beyond that because it was really in a time where, you know, that mankind for the lack of a better term was at its, at its lowest. And art was like, what are we creating? What are we doing? Like, we've just slaughtered all these people. We've, we've done this. Like, what, what are we a part of? Mm -hmm. um, and he wrote these beautiful works about kind of like this perpetual cycle of people just, talking into nothingness um and that quote comes from him and it's not related to his work but i find it very much related to both acting and life acting firstly because you can't perform something the same time um ever like it's always going to change mm. yet the skill and the craft of the actor is to make sure that every time you say the same word there is a different experience within it which is difficult like you know it, it's hard to find that to find that truth but in order to do that you need to put yourself in a position of failure and trying mm. and um also another a quote that um came from a tv show actually is try not try it's that weird in between where mm. if you're trying too hard you're, you're you're putting too much onto it and there's tension arises in your body tension arises in your voice it becomes fake and people kind of don't really like it so it's in that kind of momentary in between that, that moment between the exhale and the inhale, that moment of presence. Yeah. And so for me, that's where that quote really comes in yeah, handy. And absolutely. also just in life, knowing that, you know, like it's going to be a constant perpetual cycle of failures and trying and yeah. that's totally okay. It's not about like what, what you define success as is relative to the sound and the noise around you. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in that constant motion of going like what's this journey what's the voyage mm. um that i'm on then you can take in the the seagull landing in the middle of the ocean um while you you know you've you've sailed thousands and thousands of miles like you you might have taken off from so you, you're so far gone from where you were a few years ago but now you're in a position where you can just be like okay i can feel i can feel the breath i can i can feel the sea but i, I keep failing and i keep trying and i keep going along so for me it's a balance of yeah failure trying and and contentment mm, awesome man what's a conscious man to you a conscious man conscious man um conscious man to me uh i think walking phoenix is a, a beautiful conscious man i think mm. um just like his life and like what they've been through and how consciously aware he is of himself. Um, Sterling K Brown um, is someone that I completely aspire to. Um, I think Mahershala Ali is probably the most 
the, the probably one of the greatest, most conscious actors on earth um, and men, just in regards to uh, balance of life, family, religion, spirituality, wow. professionalism. But what um, do you what do you mean by that? Like, what, what give me an just example? I think he's, like, you think he's very honest and raw and conscious about who he is as a man and what he brings to a room every time he enters mm. and how his words can impact and change someone. Um, but then beyond that, like, you know, man, like right now more than ever, like I was reading a, um, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? It was a, a writer, but there's a couple of um, African-American writers that I've found recently that have really kind of blown me away. Tahasi Coates um, is one of them who is incredible and Im, um, Im, uh, Ibram Kenda, I think he is. He's a scholar on anti-racism in America. And like their conscious thought on how this kind of, I guess, new age world mixes between new age men and also like the old world, it's still affecting us on a daily basis and people around us. Their words are words that I, I listen to incredibly strongly right now because I think especially right here in Australia and in Perth and as someone who has been conditioned through the public school system, through an Australian education system and has been brought up, um, you know, in a you know, lower to middle class family, but as a white Caucasian male, I've never suffered how other people have suffered. There is a, for me personally, it's that's where the conscious for me is like, I'm looking to for inspiration right now. And also a deep listening without me having to say anything because it's not there. There's no, there's no necessarily words for me there. But on the flip side, then I've also got kind of the, the spiritual side of me. It's always listening to other people like Alan Watts is a huge influence yeah. on me. Um, people that are heavily spiritual but have kind of moved between the eastern and the western plane mm. um, it's quite accessible for kind of I suppose where I'm at right now so you would sort of see what would be the, the consistent quality among all of those people that you've described presence yeah yeah presence rawness authenticity vulnerability mm. uh, the ability to speak from the heart uh, mm. The ability to not be afraid to yeah. make a mistake in the moment in what they say and how they communicate to one another and humility. Others. Humility. Yeah. Oh, humility is a huge value of mine and I think something that everyone can just gather from on a daily basis more and more. It's it's totally. such an amazing quality to have. Um and to not be afraid of humiliation. Yeah. Like we're brought up so afraid of humiliation. And, you know, and being offended and embarrassed, and especially as men. And it's like, God, that, that is our greatest quality. Mm. That is, you know, to, to move, to transgress, to, to move beyond humiliation, to be in a place of humility um, where we can, you know, not be afraid of our hearts, not mm. be afraid of love. Um, and, yeah, like I, I think that's how I see it every day. I see it in my house with my housemates, I see it on the streets. See in the mornings when I go and, you know, speak to a PT trainer, F45, like, you know, I can get along, I can banter with him and stuff. But then there's things that come up and arise and I'm like, no, I've got, I've got to say something. I've got to, and it doesn't mean I've got to give the whole spiel or a lecture, but I've just got to, you know, say something little here or there just to kind of try and reach out and be like, there's no need for humiliation. You're not impressing anyone right now. We can just be here and see one another in the silence. Real. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that, man. What's challenging you right now in life? Now, I've, in all honesty, I've just come out of like a few weeks of like a real slump. Um, uh, I was struggling for a while and I have no real answer for it right now either. Um, I think it's the condition of the, the, the noise that's going on um, globally. Um, the, you know, whether it be from the climate movement, the government in Australia, the Black Lives Matter movement, and like just being at protest and seeing like how far we've come, but how far we have to go. Mm. Um, the nature of COVID, the nature of this swing to right-wing conservatism um, in politics and, you know, taking money away from the arts and humanities and mm. making them harder to reach, putting, you know, uh, making people feel as though there's a stronger belief and power in mm. um, protecting one another when we need to be reaching out and looking horizontally. Not, it's not about the vertical, the individual. It's about us here together. Mm. So that's been a struggle to see. But I think I'm moving through it and coming to a really nice space now where, you know, surrounding myself with some, some deep, grateful love and blessings um having great conversations like this and with other friends around me and knowing what you can do um what you can't do and then just you know yeah. spreading awareness everywhere yeah That's, so you so you sort of so you sort of felt like it's been a lesson for you because i mean the challenge has what shown you what's really not in your control and now the lesson is to see what is in your control and and has and knowing that has that sort of shifted you out of that state of discomfort knowing that you're actually you know you're only in control of the things that you have you know your thoughts your actions your attitude has that changed that perspective for you yeah i think so yeah mm. um and i think it also comes with just a you know a recognition of privilege um on, on a daily basis mm -hmm. um and that doesn't just mean privilege by by race and class but Privilege in regards to the smallest of things, like blessings are a huge part of my life um, when yeah. it comes to food and drinks and like just taking a step back oh, yeah. to, to breathe and be like, I, I made that meal. It may be peanut butter and jam on toast. Act as life. Hey, like I have the ability to use my hands um, mm -hmm. unconsciously to, to see the fridge, to open up the fridge, to feel it, to taste it, to breathe it in, to move through it. Like, those very, very simple things, I think, are what really, really ground me right now and will always ground me. But um, in bringing awareness to that, it brings awareness to so much more in my life as soon as I walk out the door. So, yeah, but yeah that's, that's interesting. Sorry, I kind of like, I don't know if I really kind of answered that. No, that's good. Do you, um, do you bless your food? To talk about that, you mentioned blessing your food. What does that mean? Yes, it's, a, it's, it's become some form of a, quite a sort of deep ritual for me uh there's still some form of a little bit of yeah there's a little bit of like humiliation when i'm doing it in front of friends that are kind of like what are you doing mate but like as soon as you kind of do it people people guide with you they kind of they're, they're happy to move move with you and they've even got you know my parents and my sister doing it each time we eat so it started as just um my friend and i when i was in vancouver at the start of this year and he was talking about it and it's something that I kind of been doing a little bit, but not as much mm -hmm. and actually just speaking, speaking out loud. So in the moment, um, taking three words to bless your food with like being there, seeing it, closing your eyes, bringing it through into your senses, noticing your breath, and then just allowing whatever three words to arise from a stream of consciousness and speak them out loud and bless your food. 
Um, sometimes it might, sometimes it's not three words. Sometimes it's a little saying, sometimes it's a phrase or a mantra, something I've read, a little quote, um, but just to kind of ground me and just, you know, and it just, to, and just to thank what I have before me. Like yeah. sometimes it's a really nice meal. Other times it's not looking so good, but I think it, you think it doesn't matter. It's, it's just about being able to be grateful for what's, you know, what's right there before you. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. I, when I was living in California, Oh, sorry, when I was living in Canada and traveled to California and did like some woofing on a farm, I was there with uh, about seven other people and who were just like all strangers for this whole week, just come onto this like intentional community to live. And uh, we used to make all our own dinners collectively, you know, the woofers, as you would call them. Um, so like we had like a, like a huge salad from all the stuff we picked from the garden. And um, one of the girls there, this is the really like, that was when it cemented it in for me. But she was like, did a, like a blessing or a prayer before for uh, dinner. And so we we're all sitting around this table outside, this beautiful Californian day, afternoon. And um, we're all like holding hands and just like <clears throat> saying, take this moment to consider those who go hungry tonight and take this moment to consider those without good company tonight and to truly take this moment in because we have both. And it was just like, hit me, just like really hit me to go far out. There are people like on the streets and when their next meal's coming. And I guess that's sort of why I want you to describe that for people listening who haven't really understood it. But it's like an appreciation for the fact that you have so much in your life when you might think you don't. So much. We have so much every single moment that, you know, we, 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 we train ourselves not to have an awareness of it. Um, and we train ourselves without an awareness just because of schooling. It's not even something we're trying to do. Distractions, just, yeah. Distractions, man, constantly. We're, we're training distraction. And so being able to just become become aware of what is with us is so important. And especially mm -hmm. in times like this, because like, man, like there, there's places right now that beyond even like not even having good company or food, the refugee, pro, like the, the refugee issue is still huge and worse than ever. And they're dealing with, on top of that, like a global pandemic. Like the, the fear that would be running through so many people right now in far worse off conditions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for, for us, like we've, uh, a, lot of, a, lot of pe a lot of people around us have lost a lot, but we also still have each other and we still might be okay financially. Or if we're not, we might still be able to eat. Like, so just taking a moment to look back and see the silence and listen to silence because, oh, it just it aids and it heals like one of them, one of them, again, little favorite quote, but a quote that I heard recently that I just absolutely love is like noise is a collision of um, silence and sound. Like we can't have sound without silence. And so noise and atmosphere only grows because silence is there. And so when we can get kind of attune into that, then it just allows, uh, I think a warmth and a place in the heart. Mm. Beautiful, man. Well, what does unconditional love mean to you, Jay? That word, that phrase first came to me in my first year of training by the head of acting at WAPA, um, Glenda Linscott. And she spoke it. And when she first said it, like, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I get it. Cool. Like, unconditional love. Like, I, I totally understand. Like, I feel that. Yeah, cool. Resonates. Um, but I think each, each year it's grown with me more and more. 
And it wasn't until this year that I think it really kind of um, moved through into a, a greater, deeper spot where for me, it's like, it's unconditional. It moves past all conditioning and everything around you to always, always have love, to find a place to go further, further, deeper, deeper. Um, and no matter the hardship, no matter the, the failures or the consequences or what someone's dug, has, has done is to have that unconditional love, mm. um, which can be difficult because like, you oh, know, like I think it is justice and so difficult, mate, like the amount of times like you face it and you just like, fuck that person, fuck, <laughs> fuck this world, fuck it all. Oh my God. Yeah. But just as quickly, like it's, you know, it, we, we can also like move back into a place and be like, hold on, like, yeah. hold on a second. Yeah. Like, their their ego is just playing a game um as hard as that can be to hear sometimes that's what that's what's going on and they're they're conditioned in a certain way and that's what they're doing and it's horrific and it might be horrific and disgusting and disturbing and something that goes against all your morals values and ethics but uh i'm a true believer in unconditional love and Mm -hmm. uh, and and the universal abundance of love that we can always tap into so, so it fully means just accepting, would you say? Fully accepting, no matter what. No matter yeah. what. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I liken it to, like, I think unconditional love is, is, a, is really a journey because you can't just, for, for me, I'm like, you, I think, I feel like this is where Siddhartha Gautama was, the Buddha, you know, and, and Jesus Christ representing JC. You know, I feel like these guys were at that point of, and I, I feel like there's so many emotional, so much emotional baggage in humanity now where it's really restrictive to get to that point of compassion and uh, unconditional love until you work through those that, that emotional experience, emotional memories to clear that baggage. I feel like you won't actually fully understand what we're describing here as unconditional love. Totally. Um, do, you, do you think that like you've, you've grown like through awareness you've you've begun to like understand it more but like how, how do you feel like unconditional love is to you now at your age compared to when you were four or five oh, mate, like so much anger in there deep down I, I don't think i really understood love either even as a teenager i think it's lust and we get mm-hmm. told i think we get sort of confused we go through just that trial and tribulations right of understanding what that is but for me now I think one of my greatest realizations was that everyone is a reflection of me. And so when you see that, you take, and this is so freaking true. I, I wrote a little ebook on this because I think how this is, if, if I look at all the coaching clients that I have and I say, what's one, there's like three things that I want them to take away. And one of them, after working with me, I want them to see the other person in all their emotional triggers as them. And when you do that, you find compassion. And you find compassion because you see yourself in them. And this is how you do it. So you literally like journal on the trigger. You journal on the emotional trigger that just happened. Say someone, you know, fucking, I don't know, whatever. They they said something to you obnoxiously, you know, without thinking about it. And um, you literally go, all right, what did they do? Write, Write it down. And say, he said something to me disrespectfully. Now, cool. Change he with I. I said something to them disrespectfully. And think about all the situations that you've done that. 
And and it, it, this is humility, right? We talk about this because you go, fuck, okay, well, where do I do that in my life? It might not be completely. You might even do it more. But as soon as you realize you do it to someone else and you stop it, you come back into changing your own state, which changes your vibration, changes your frequency, which connects into the you know law of attraction, boom, you don't get triggered anymore. It's fucking miraculous, bro. Because then what happens now is you actually start to change your environment when you start change your environment you change your life there you go <laughs> oh man bang on like yeah i couldn't agree more you've that's so well articulated i'm actually gonna i'm gonna use that because like I, I think something that like really it's it's a constant reminder it has it's a constant reminder for me with unconditional love and compassion yeah, and seeing myself in the other because yeah. like some days it's like it's there i'm not oh, even yeah. considering it and then you know other <laughs> moments you just like yeah. But, um, but yeah, and like, and the shadow self as well. Hey, like, you know, that was something that really changed me um, when I heard it yeah. psychologically and how it works. And just like every time, uh, for example, like there, I'll see someone who's in a privileged position, who is privileged and has money and is well off and is abusing that. For me, it's triggered us to be like, fuck, why? What are you doing? Mm. Like, you, you know, you've got it. You have everything. And so like that, but that's a conditioning of how I was, brought up and so that neurological pathway has just been lit up every time i see someone doing something like that it'll be that instant thought and when i heard that and that's how the brain works i was like oh, okay and like um would we have psychology taught to us at WAPA and our psychologist speaking about it it's like so how you move past it is then every time it arises you catch it so we're literally like a race car going down that track which is the neurological pathway you see the car it stops freezes in time you catch your thought, you take a breath, you notice where you are and you go, hold on a minute. Like that's just another person. And that that's where you can replace them with yourself and go, that's just another person playing a game, making a mistake, what have you. You don't know their circumstances. You don't know where they're at. Mm. And it starts to grow a new neurological pathway, which then every time you see that person, you see through empathy mm -hmm. and you see through love. And I think like, it's and yeah man that's incredible on top of that that's empathy. incredible that they actually even teach you psychology fuck that's so good it's a oh, very lucky man like like psychology is it's helped so much in regards to like i'm a believe i'm a huge believer for psychology like mm. why would we not go and speak to a psychologist or why would we not go and speak <laughs> to someone who like knows more about ourselves and how it, like our brains or bodies work scientifically like like, why wouldn't we do it? Like, it makes sense. Like, we go to school and we get taught by a teacher that knows more about us in this certain area, whether that area of expertise, the education is good or not. That's a whole other thing. But, like, we're, we're getting taught by that person. And then when we get older, it's all of a sudden like, ah, nah, nah, fuck it, mate. Not going to fucking go speak to them. It's like, <laughs> like chill out. Like, <laughs> break down those little walls, buddy. It's okay. Like, open up. Like, and I know it's, it's hard and it's harsh and it can be a very confronting thing to go and speak to someone. And sometimes you can have bad experiences with psychs yeah. and stuff. But like, I have an amazing psych and she's, she was a, she was a whopper dancer and she then went on to like, she traveled the world doing dance, but then she also did her bachelor degree of psychology whilst being a professional dancer. Wow, and that's so good. She's an amazing kind of performance psych. So she really sees it in quite a different way. Um, that's perfect. Yeah. That's really cool. I love that, man. Psychology is a big part. Psychology and philosophy, I don't know, maybe one... Maybe, I feel like psychology is 
the futurized version of ancient philosophy as if to say like like that's the way i sort of see it at least is like psychology is actually using now like scientific research not just anecdotal or empirical evidence it's now just like using that with theories of how the human works um and it's so potent i think anyone who really is on this self-development journey or just beginning or not even on it yet yeah, really. Wow, a bird was really loud. I can hear um, that. <laughs> it's like a um, hummingbird. But yeah, um, I guess I'm saying, like, don't see it as a bad thing, which is what Jay just said. Don't see it as a bad thing. See it as a very an essential part of, like, understanding who you really are on a deeper level. Because you're not broken. You're just trying to figure out the truth in you. The way I can consider it, right, is, like, if you look 100 years down, down the line, 200 years, humanity's still going to be here some form or the other. But like everyone will have that education. Everyone will know what the psychologists now know Yeah. as it'll be taught through schools. And then on top of that, people will just have psychologists within their life. It'll be something that like is just required yeah. to, to be able to kind of speak and to riff and to kind of move through. Mm-hmm. And so right now you're only doing yourself a disservice um, and you're actually just supplying your ignorance with fuel. By, yeah, oh, no, I don't really want to do it. Like help yourself out. And it can be tough, but sometimes it's like, do it. Just do it because you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded when you reach out and you just go, ah, God, it feels like a cape just drops off your shoulders and you go, that that was such a rewarding conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. So the last question in this uh, not so quick fire is, do you believe in a greater power and what is that to you? I do. Greater power is um, energy. Mm -hmm. Energy itself. Um, uh, It's everywhere, man. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Like I'm constantly tripping out. Like well, what is just, what is what is in that sense then? What is God then? How how would you describe God? Hang on, and you can ask that question. Like <laughs> God for me is like God for me is something that is moved and moved and moved. And right now, God for me is like the the pure being, the pure essence, the seed of infinity in the universe that sits within all of us. Um, the one and en- the one energy that moves through everything um, is the universe itself. That I think. I believe we, we will move through, we all are. And I can say that out loud and then I can walk on the street and then that can be questioned <laughs> as soon yeah. as I have like run in with someone. But I, I truly believe that's, that's you know, where it comes down to is that silence, that in between, the awareness of the awareness, the nothingness, mm. the emptiness um, for me is God. And in so we all are God. And it's that for me to say that out loud, like part of me is just going, what? What do you What do you mean? Um, and because, but that's because of my conditioning through different avenues, through growing up of you know Christianity and uh, yeah. um, and like the, the the surrounding nature of what God is and the connotations it brings as soon as you say it. I think especially in Australia and in a Western society. And for me, it's yeah, it's moved past that. It's 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 everything yeah, and it's man. nothing. Yeah, I was climbing a mountain uh, here. As you do. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> love getting out in nature and it was a volcano actually so we're climbing that and as i was climbing up you know just listening to nothing it was like a silent hike up and or listening to everything however you want to look at it but um it was like god is the great you know call it a download an epiphany whatever you want to call it it was like god is greater orchestrated divine and I'm like, yeah, fuck, that makes sense. Because I've got a bad connotation, I think, just from that, you know, religious dogma of like 
God, God, love God. He is the greatest. And it's like the he's, the, you know, the pedestaling of God really just like makes it feel so yucky. When you think mm. about it as like the greater orchestrated divine, it's like that web of everything, that the energy beneath everything, which is also what we're made up of. And that's sort of, yeah, just sort of adding to what you're saying there. That's how I see it too anyway, man. I, I love that. I think that's, mm. that's beautiful, the greater orchestrated divine. That's mm. lovely. So let's get into your story, man. Sure. Let's talk about, I mean, you're, you're a young man and you're so, you've got so much, you know, your, your mind thinks differently. I can see that. And philosophically, you know, you're, you're a deep thinker. You're clearly connected in to another frequency. So I'm interested to see when this unwoke period of your life was and like, you know, how does that compare to you now and when was that shift? But I guess the first question is like, what was that unwoke? What did that, what did your life look like in that unwoke period? And, and what does it look like now? Nihilistic, man. Mm, yeah, really? It was nihilistic, you know, uh, the, the, um, you know, the anti to all of this conversation and everything we've been talking about and why you were having these conversations because I was stuck in that realm for so long. Wow. Um, How long ago was that? So I'd say about three, three years or so ago. So mm. kind of like to go, let's just take it back to school, like primary school, I was kind of the good kid who was, you know, loved his sports and was doing well in classes, um, got bullied a bit and um, was, I was quite emotional. I was very vulnerable as a child, known for crying too much. And that really hit me hard. And then in high school, I flipped it day one. I just came in with this crazy big energy and that was kind of my protection barrier to be like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let that happen again. Um, and had a lot of fun, got to a lot more mischief. And there's still, still love like the schooling aspect of it and like it enjoyed learning stuff. But that's when I ended up falling in love with drama and acting as well during that period. But then I, you know, I was a dickhead as well. Like uh, I said, some things that were incredibly cruel and have probably impacted people's lives in ways that I'll never, um, you know, that, that I have to forgive myself for, but, uh, probably horrific, like, a, you know, just, just being an arsehole and that's, but then you've got to kind of move past that. And then leaving high school, I went and studied a film degree and I kind of started to get into this mind. Like I loved film and it, film is something still, I, I love it. It moves me. It changes me. Every time I see something it can really just, it can change my entire being and way of life and interaction, which is what I love about it. But I got into this mind frame of um, like fucking who cares, whatever, very nihilistic, very just kind of like, I just, it was like I had my passion was there. I run a YouTube channel and like that was kind of like, it was putting all my time and effort into that and kind of ignored other elements of my life, my the spiritual side of me, meditation and yoga. Like it was all kind of, it was right in the back corner as was my acting. And so I just, there was a lot of ignorance, um, a, a lot of ignorance and just not a lot of awareness. It's this weird thing, right? Where you're in a state where you're like, you, you're not woke. And I suppose you, it's, uh, for me looking back then, I'd probably consider nothing was really bad or nothing was kind of off, but my thoughts on a daily basis, how I treat some people and how I'd kind of negotiate conversations, I'll never do that again. Mm. because of just the awareness I brought. Yeah, so really, wow. also more than anything, I think just a deep ignorance. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, and a, like a blame, a blame for things that it would. Like, a blame why? and like not looking at myself honestly and what I'm wanting to do because I'm a little bit unhappy. So like me doing a film degree and being on the same campus as WAPA and seeing actors there training in a place that I want to be in like, why is that not me? What, like, what, what, what have I done? Why, why don't I deserve that type of thing? And that sort of attitude, that a really egoic way of thinking mm. really ate up at me for quite a long time. And then as I kind of moved on and like I moved through those years of my film degree, I, I did a couple of plays which were um, amazing and taught me a lot. And one play I did that really started to change a, a lot for me was I did a two-handed play um, based in World War II Germany and I played a Nazi Germany officer who got drafted to work for, um, so he was a German officer who got drafted to work for the Nazis and his wife was blind. And this was a, a, fict a fictitious story, but 100% these stories would have happened. And basically it worked in eight different scenes and each scene had a color basis for it. And the actress across from me, she actually wasn't blind, but she did an amazing performance as, a, as someone who was blind. But we went and met with um, an incredible community of um, people that had, that were either born blind or had lost their eyesight. And that was one of the moments for me where it was just like instant awareness. Like I have not considered the fact that I can see mm. for probably at least the last four to five years. Mm. Um, like, you know, it seems so nuts, but like, it's so true. And yeah, now it's yeah. something I take in every single day, like the, the blessing of sight and especially in a medium where I work, where sight is so important. And then on top of that, it was a learning of going and speaking to them all. And they were just like, you know, there's, there's no difference for us between my life and your life, the way they can use social media and everything in between. And I just had no awareness of it. I had no understanding. There was no learning for me. And so I think that's probably, that started to start to really trickle in awareness and go, hey, what am I doing? What am I thinking in my day-to-day -day life? Like, why am I not considering the wider picture? Why am I, why have I neglected people around me? Like, I always, always loved observing people, mm. but I think it was very much for a while there, it was like observing them without myself putting Putting, in my, putting myself in their shoes. It was without empathy. Yeah. Um, it was without a deeper ingrained empathy and it was filled with a lot of judgment. And then so from that, it moved again and I, um, I finished my film degree and I went to Europe for basically three months and I went with a friend and we helped, um, I helped him produce a documentary um, on his grandfather who um, lived through the World, World War II in Serbia and Bosnia. Um, fled as a child from Nazi Germany. Um, his family was gone, went to Bosnia and they couldn't speak a, a, a word of the language there. And then he lived his life and um, then lived through the civil war um, of S Serbia and Croatia and Bosnia and everything in between that happened there and the mass genocides. And so we went there to speak to him and, um, well, sorry, he, he's passed away, but his son and who um, who'd lived through the genocides and stuff and speak about his stories and his father's stories. And that awoke a lot. And that was my first time overseas as well. Um, first time overseas, went straight to mm. Serbia, lived there for a month and a half and then traveled through Bosnia and um, yeah. then into Austria, went to Mauthausen, the concentration camp there. Um, and that was like, again, another huge tick of just, like every moment putting myself in these other people's shoes and just seeing life from a whole new perspective. Mm. Um, and look, this is not to say that I wasn't, I didn't grow up with empathy. Like my, my mom and dad taught me empathy and love, like, like nothing else. But I think it just became 
a type of thing where I protected myself from it because I was so open as a child and quite vulnerable and crying a lot. And then so it became a protective barrier to be like, no, not going to do it. Mm. And then anyway, so that all happened. My YouTube channel is doing quite well. We went to the international, uh, Venice International Film Festival. We got media accreditation there, which was incredible. The first day we're walking up the same staircase. I'm like, I look to my right and we're walking up next to Matt Damon and Chris Wig. And I was wow. just like, this is nuts. Like, this is just like such a surreal experience. Um, and then met some amazing people there, heard some incredible people speak. It was the year that The Shape of Water premiered there and then went on to win oh, nice. the Oscar. Mother was there. Um, George Clooney had his new film there. Jim Carrey had his documentary there. Mm-hmm. And I got to, um, I got, and three billboards was there. And there's, wow. there's three moments from that festival that kind of changed my life forever. Um, and I know that like, I, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm speaking to you and I'm at Whopper and I will be an actor for the rest of my life is because firstly, um, I heard Guillermo del Toro speak about his film, The Shape of Water. And I was sitting with all the media, media from all around the world, New York Times, Boston, you know, we're here, two guys, two young dudes, two 20 year olds, like with a YouTube channel next to like all these different media agencies. And we're just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Um, And like listening to Del Toro speak with like this amazing cast on stage. And then we're just like, what the fuck? Um, But he speaks about his film and like he, the way he spoke about it and the artistry and the creation of it and the craft, I was like, why am I sitting on this side? I don't, I don't care for that question. I don't wow. like what media is. I don't like what media is a part of and what it brings to people's lives in a, in a harsh sense. I think there's some great parts of media, but for this sort of thing, I was like, no, um, this is this is not good. Mm. And then that contrasted with watching George Clooney have to speak about his new film and he couldn't answer a single question about the artistry side of it because every single question that was asked to him was about Donald Trump and America and what this film means to that. And he was like, guys, like, no. Anyway, so that was like two contrasts. The second one was seeing Frances McDormand speak um, about three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which she went on to win the Oscar for that film. And unbelievable. Um, One of the most magnificent cinema experiences, the premiere and like everyone just like shouting and cheering when it finished and like a 10 minute standing ovation was unreal. But she's sitting there speaking about it and she's just like, everyone's asking all these questions and being like throwing praise at her and being like, you know, this is the best thing you've done since Fargo and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, well, I didn't want to do the project. Um, she's so down to earth. She's like, I didn't want to do the project. My husband convinced me to do it. Um, and if you've got any questions for me, just um, ask him, Martin McDonough, who wrote and directed the film. He's like, it's all on the page. Like I didn't do anything. I just brought myself to the page. And just seeing like someone be so raw and honest, but love her craft, it was just like, is she the filmmaker? She was the actress. So she's the leading oh, actress, the actress. And she was referring to, yes, yeah, sorry, things about but She was referring to like, like anytime a question came to her, like, how did you pull this off? It was just like, it was in the script. Ask Martin. He wrote it, he directed it. And just so humble, but also just like, it was someone who just knows their craft, knows the job, knows this atmosphere and kind of sees through all the bullshit. Um, and the third moment for me is like, I asked a question to Michael Caine and a little nervous boy holding the microphone like, like this, I was some fucking Sir Michael Caine. I was like, this is unreal. But I asked him, I was like, what's the, have you, have you ever got to a point in your life where you felt as though you have um, 
figured out what kind of acting is or you've kind of like got enough training that you know what you're doing. And he basically kind of almost cut me off and he's like, I'll never stop learning to the day I die. Every single set, every single movie I'm doing, I'm always learning and I'm always finding new things and new ways to go about um, acting and performing. That's why I do it. Um, I'll never stop. Mm. And I was just like, okay, I, I need to train. I need to learn. Um, I need to get back. And basically I came back to Perth and um, I, I trained and uh, trained for my audition. So, and so I you, went were film, in you were already a filmmaker by then? You'd studied film, finished Yes, I studied film. I'd graduated and um, I had nothing going on the next year. And yeah. I was like, I'm not going to audition for WAPA. I'll just audition for NIDA, which is the equivalent over East because I was like, I've auditioned for WAPA four times. I'm not going to get in and fuck it. And then right at the last moment, I was actually a day late. <laughs> I put my application in. I was like, I'm going to do it, whatever. Um, my voice coach at the time convinced me. And um, I did both auditions and NIDA, I got through the callbacks, but then got knocked out. And then I had my Whopper audition next and I was like, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Who cares? This is just have fun, man. Like who gives a fuck? And I remember sitting there before because what happens with the auditions is like you do your first round of audition, then you get a callback. And then if you get another callback, you go to the final callback. So it's like three different versions and you have two monologues. And then the final callback, it's like 36 people in the room. It's like the best of the best. And it's fucking such a beautiful experience. Ooh. But um, I remember sitting down watching someone and someone before me was doing the same monologue as me. And sometimes it can kind of trip you out and be like, ah, oh, shit, they've just done this. And I'm watching them being redirected. And I like so sat there, said to myself, who gives a fuck? Don't give a shit. Just go <laughs> out there, listen, have fun. You know it. And mate, I fucking, I made it. Had fun. And, <laughs> like, and like, that's, that's what it's been ever since. And that, that mantra has something that's something that's come full circle and only recently into my performances again, where it's like, don't give a fuck and you will. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Fuck off all that noise. Get out of your own way. I'm, just, I'm talking about performance now, but I'll bring it back. But um, like, just don't, don't give a fuck. And that's the same thing with life. Like, you, you sometimes we care so much about the little things around us or what someone's thought of us or mm. what we're wearing or what, like, what mask we have to put on to go and see this person. Fuck it off. Get it out of the way. Go have fun. Listen. Just see someone for what they are and, and just... Mm a conversation like it's you know the last conversation you have on earth mm. so like then i got into whopper and then i think that's where my awareness and the wokeness really just boom everything just changed wow. something in me that for my entire life i felt feel as though i had been like wanting to follow but i never could i finally was there and i was like i'm, I'm here like i like uh. this little seed in me that's been nibbling away since I was a kid. That's like, oh, like I want to do acting, but I'll never be able to do it. Like that love got to, that love standing up and speaking at assemblies or mucking around at, in high school assemblies and dressing up as Batman and doing funny voices or what have you. Like, and then, you know, neglecting it for three and a half years with my film degree and like kind of having this nihilistic mindset that like, oh, I'm never going to really be able to do it. I'm not going to be as good as anyone. But like the passion kept coming. I was like, no, I'll audition again. I'll audition again. Then all that experience came through and I was like, oh, I'm here. And then it become like, then it's just a fucking whole journey and like ripping myself apart and like finding out what are these habitual pa habitual patterns that I've been carrying for my life? What are the tensions that I've had? What, what, what am I, what am I, what am I doing with myself? Um, and like, what is it that makes me who I am? And then ridding this idea of what acting was to me as well, because I had this idea of what acting 
was, which then really got in the way of my craft. And now it's like getting rid of that, which seems to have, you know, I've moved past that now into just this vulnerable state of being and knowing that I'm enough. And it's the funniest thing. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes about acting is like, um, <laughs> we, oh God, we try to make it, yeah, that's it. We try to make it so difficult when actually um, it's the easiest thing on earth. It's basically like we we want to do everything all the time, but actually you just need to do nothing. Just relax and listen. Um, and so, yeah, man, like that really kind of started my entire journey into becoming just a better person, a better person, a better human being, a better man, bring awareness to all aspects of my life, confronting my sexuality, confronting, confronting sex, confronting yeah. um, conversations about, about women and their experience and men and their experience in ways that like, I've just never been able to speak to people about it before. And there's this stigma around acting. And once you go on a whopper, oh, you're going to come out, you know, you won't be the same, make sure whopper doesn't change you. It's like, my goodness, I wouldn't want anything else. You need to be changed. This is, you know, this running idea that constantly we have to be the same and like, we have to keep a consistency. We have to find our true authentic self and hold on to that once we get there. But the true authentic self never even existed in the first place and it never does exist. It's always changing. So listening to that and learning and listening to awareness and when we should speak and when we shouldn't speak, listening to those instincts and bringing like a noticing ability and awareness. I think that's where for me, like, I guess I've kind of like woken into a new way of being. Um, and then there was my spiritual journey, which kind of like came hand in hand with WAPA. I went on a four day silent retreat at the end of my first year of training um, with Spunder School in Fremantle. Um, and Ava, who led the course down there. And then I did a seven day silent retreat at the end of last year. Um, and meditation. Med meditating. Experience for me and changed my life. Yeah, it is a, a silent, silent aspect with those silent retreats is fucking insane. So, in your, um, that's a really a wonderful journey, man, for you. Uh, really, really powerful that you found this such an, such a, early stage of your life i think anyone at our age you know in their 20s 30s finding this path now is just in, incredible you know i'm interviewing people that are in their 50s 60s finding this too and I said man if, if i if i knew what i did at your age oh my life would be incredible or you know like such and so it'd be it'd be so different so it's really it's really awesome to see that and but, we, that, but that, that, i always find that funny you know that this idea like i mean i came face to face with that sort of question when i was in high school i remember like I was, I was doing pretty well and it was like, I could go on to kind of do like a physio type medicine thing. And I was like, I could get like, this sounds full on, but like I could get to the age of 50 beyond 350 K a year, have a family around me and want to kill myself. Mm. And like, and that's a really confronting thing to hear. But I think it's also like, you've got to, you've got to ask the big questions. You've got to come face to face with death and life because life will do it. And life will do it when you don't when you don't want it and when you least expect it and it's fucking hard and yeah. it can crush you um totally. but it moves you into a new place of being and awareness and so um what am i saying like for me it was like what do i love what do i love doing what do i want to be doing and for me it was it was performance and making and, and, and acting you know it was like all right well where can i do that in Perth? Oh, blah, blah. And, yeah. and it was chasing that uh, yeah. that's the other thing as well that changed my life um significantly significantly was uh, my mum. my mum got diagnosed with cancer um about four four and a bit years ago 
and um, that that completely and utterly shifted everything for me and our entire family dynamic um, because of the way in which she just soldiered on and moved through everything. Um, I won't kind of die. I mean, can dive into the story if you want, but more or less, she got diagnosed as stage four. We didn't know it was stage four. It was in her bowels and moved through to her lungs and her liver. It was everywhere. And um, she went on chemo and changed diet, went plant-based, saved her life basically. Um, and then moved into a space of like constant treatment um, and like getting better and then getting worse and getting better, getting worse, having hip replacements in between, having huge operations and it, um, watching her move through that and just always putting love first, always mm. putting family first and putting an unconditional love out to everyone around her was so inspiring. That's incredible, brother. Mm. What, what, was your, what was your biggest vice during that unwoke period, you know, teenager going through school? How do you mean by vice? So like, um, you know, your crutch or, you know, was it alcohol, drugs, things that you sort of were like addicted to? Uh, you know what? It's, it, was, it was probably um, probably tension and look. Mm, from, from women? Uh, yeah, from everyone around me. Um, what, what am I, what am I doing? What, what am I being seen, being doing? Um, isn't enough. Am I, uh, I'll probably always fight this, you know, part of, part of me will always fight this. I'm like, am I good enough? Mm. Um, is what I'm doing good enough? Am I serving like the love that my family's given me and that others have trusted me to think that I'm going to be some sort of success or I'll do something like it was, I think it was that man, um, for, that ate away at me. For Being probably, like that external validation. Yeah, validation, like looking for validation, looking for something that doesn't, ex that, that, like validation doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't exist and it exists in kind of a weird sort of relative way. And so for me, that was something that, yeah, it was constantly chasing that. And then, you know, like, uh, yeah, alcohol and drugs didn't really ever play a part into it because it was just, it was really quite egoic, very egoic. Yeah. What about the emotions? What, what, what emotions were really triggering for you? I got anxiety, shame, guilt, fear. Uh, a lot anger. of anger. A lot of anger, brother. Yeah, a lot of, um, of pent-up. How was that sort of like nihilistic view, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of fury. A lot of like um, really deep, furious anger that kind of like would lash out, not in a violent way, but in a verbal violent way mm. towards others around me. Um, and acting quite selfishly. Um, what was that connected well. to in your life? Like, did you connect that to something that happened in your past? Like, why were you, why were you so furious? Good question. You know, like, uh, I think not being, not, not the quote unquote, not succeeding, like, um, not, not being good enough. Like, yeah, something like that, that's at the kind of the crux of it. Like that's, it, that I'm, I couldn't find contentment, uh, like what, no matter why? what I was, because I think that I had to prove, prove something to someone, whether it be my parents or my friends around me, that I kind of didn't really know who I was, like who I was, and so it was like really, it, it just became this kind of like a lot of jealousy as well. Like, you know, putting this thing on, on, on belonging um, 
and and things should things should belong to me and like if I do this then that's mine this really kind of selfish egoic fury that like there was really um, a lot of passive aggressiveness as well that was just fucking it was nasty you know like the areas of areas of my way of ways of treating I guess like relationships very early on um, uh, both like sexual relationships and then family relationships as well just being like really passive aggressive like as if I kind of like is if I deserve something because I haven't gotten something yet. Mm. Um, I've never yeah. really kind of considered it that way, but I think that's kind of like where it kind of sits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you let that go, found forgiveness for it now? Or is it still yeah. sort of pent up at times? I It's definitely, it's definitely let go. I yeah. think um, I've, I've, I don't know how much of it I've completely forgiven myself in. I'm probably always working on that, but I've, I've let go of it. Um, and I just, i look at that and I kind of, I laugh at like how, how, how much stuff was kind of built up within. Mm. Um, but I'm always learning. I'm always learning. And I learn from my sister a lot because that's still a part of me. That makes sense. Like that was part of my conditioning. So I'm, I'm constantly always letting go of that. And some of the choices I make still can come from a, a, a selfish sort of place. So for me, it's always doing everything I can to, really look for kindness and, and doing things for others like uh, as much as as much as you can as, as simple as that sounds it it brings happiness um yeah. it's scientifically proven it brings happiness yeah yeah uh, whose love did you crave most growing up and who did you have to be to get it i'm a dad's yeah um yeah my mum's always been there with true yeah. love but my dad's is something that still cracks me and probably will crack me like a little bit and it's not to say that my dad's wasn't there but it's actually just generational men um, seeing how my dad was brought up and then how he is someone that I, I look up to and I aspire and, 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 and are very inspired by, but he has, um, he hides behind so much of his emotions Ooh. and really holds them. And, um, it's taking, like, it's only probably in the last few years that he started to open up more and more. That's and that for me was always tough to see. And then, um, like him not being, the like the manly father that other guys around me had and then that kind of affecting me but then he he just he did he, he was him and so it's this thing where it's like yeah i mean it's the hot the horrible masculine kind of complex where i think i kind of see it like this thing where um because of the patriarchy and how society has been built over time and men controlling everything and etc so forth it's very toxic we've created this bubble and men have kind of risen to this sort of area. And now like this idea of being woke, we're kind of allowing ourselves to move beyond it and away from it. Mm. But for women, it's quite open. Like they're, they're not trapped within the patriarchy because they're a part of it. So it's like for them, it's like, fuck it. We're like women are the answer into to moving forward into, into creating a far better, more incredible world is the way I sort of see it and yet so then for us like even you and me we've been brought up in a certain sort of conditioning especially in western society where there's stuff that will be with us for the rest of our lives that we're constantly trying to move away from and flick past and dance around just because of the patriarchy and men and the the idea of what a man should be and like that's why these conversations are so important because it's fucking breaking that down chopping it away so that 
in generations to come, it's less and less a part of their lives. Mm. It's an interesting point about the patriarchy thing and and and, and the matriarchy like sort of paradigm how they're so different because they weren't stuck in it and so that's what we're trying to do is just break free of that that's mm. really interesting so what did you sort of have to do to get more love from your dad i think like i think i got a lot of love from my dad but i didn't get the love that i think that i that i think that i probably needed and so now it like for now it actually just comes from speaking to him openly and honestly. Mm. Um, and like, you know, if I can break down in front of him, hopefully that means that he can break down in front of me. And we've had conversations like that. And I, uh, I think that's so important. I mean, to, it sounds so simple, yeah. but to be able to cry with your father, whether it be about a story or, or life or what he's doing or, you know, every, everything like um, that's, that's a huge thing. And I think also for me is it's a constant forgiveness now to him to know that like how he's been brought up and some of his ideologies that I completely disagree with or I'm not in line with to not, to not be angry at and not to try and fight at, but to see, to see his, his point of view and, and to forgive him and, and to let it be and like let the conversation be open. Mm. Otherwise he's just going to hear his ranting young 23 year old son who's just like throwing all these you know new wave ideas at him um it's just not gonna really it's not going to be accessed so. yeah so it starts with vulnerability vulnerability and and yeah just being raw and open yeah i agree man i've had that experience just recently actually it's very powerful um tough as well because you can do it with like him and you but then in his own friendship groups it's not as prevalent it's not as present and I think that it's kind of like, you know, it starts to awaken for someone who's older, but then it takes time to move into their own groups as well. Mm, for sure. What about, talk, talk to me about a, a really low point in your life, man. And was suicide ever a factor? No, no. Um, no, I've, I, I haven't suffered from depression um i've definitely suffered from anxiety and um but i think for me like some of the lowest points are just like where it feels like a, a sense of um worthlessness and not mm. and not being good enough for anything um back to fear i think that was definitely a fear for me growing up as i'd never be good enough for anything i do I'll never be good enough to be this professional athlete here or to do this job or to do that. I'll never be good enough to be a professional actor. I'll never be good enough to blah, 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 blah. Um, and yeah, so like there was, you know, moments last year, one of the lowest points was last year. I was in a role. I was performing in a show where I was performing a, a love interest kind of like out of town rap bag guy who comes in and has this, beautiful moment of, um, of love and connection with the lead character and then leaves from a show called Mash Now. It's an expressionist piece written by Sophie Treadwell from 1926. Um, it's an amazing piece of like feminist theatre, but I kind of got a role that I will be cast in for the rest of my life um, to, di to different aspects and different degrees. And that's good to know, but I couldn't rise to it. Um, I really... I really struggled. Um, I struggled to kind of be myself. And on top of that, um, my pop had passed away 
um, a little bit before that, my mum hit the lowest point of her life and she was like nihilistic, depressive, suicidal, not to the extent of like suicidal, but it's this weird kind of thing where it happens where um, in, in I think cancer patients where it can just be so draining and dead and devoid of life. Um, like it's just like there's no point in me going on and she kind of said that to me and hearing that and everything around me and then me completely having like questioning my own ability and what was going on um, in my performance and I couldn't see out of it was really suffocating. Uh, it was it was tough. It was really tough. And then the play finished and... Um, <laughs> Uh, mum began to get better and like I really I did everything I could to get her out off, off of her feet and I couldn't tell her that I was struggling at that time like that was for me that was just the thing that was like I couldn't speak to her um, and so that kind of really it just kind of like worked its way out I just slowly allowed it to be I, you know I remember having a meditation after that show finished and like the relief I felt like everything just dropping away slowly um, it was, yes, like that was a very low point. Mm. But yeah, man, like I, I, I haven't, I haven't, I've, I've been blessed that I haven't kind of had to face that. I've had friends around me that have, I've seen friends be, um, have, uh, you know, cut themselves to the point of, you know, almost killing themselves. And I, I've, I've faced that and I've had I've family around me that suffer from deep depression. I have a, one of my best friends right now. She has been really struggling. Um, and that's, it's crushing, but mm. what gets, what gets me by, what gets me through, man, sometimes I don't even know. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of the first step in some ways, like to kind of admit that, that you don't know mm. how you're going to get through that. You don't know what might be next. Um, you don't know how you're going to kind of get up but you just do. And in recognizing that you, that you're in that kind of in between area of like that, that anxious area of, I don't know what to do next, or I don't know where I am. Like, and just recognizing that thought is always a first step. It's such a delicate first step. And I mm. think we, we treat ourselves unkindly sometimes. And um, yeah. Do you believe there's a purpose behind emotion? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's an expression of being. It's an expression of life. Um but then scientifically right now it's being almost proven otherwise. <laughs> so I'm in a weird crossroads where I think it I, I think it's survival. I think it's how we survive. I think it's, you know, it's connected to that. It's connected to how we, how we move and interact and, and be. And so that for me is kind of like the, that's the place of emotion. Mm. It's a, it's a way of surviving. It's a way of expressing. It's honestly probably a way of healing. Mm. Like, you know, it, being able to access and like, allow those emotions out and being able to, be honest and true to them and move through them and breathe with them. Connecting to your breath. It's, um, that, that is emotion. That is, mm. it's where life is. So yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Like, yeah, it has to be. 
just we, we wouldn't be here without it. Yeah, yeah. If you think about fear and, and survival instinct, what what about the moment of awakening for you? Like coming out of like sort of a low period, or you know, was it the moment you got into Whopper? What was that significant moment of awakening for you that led you onto this more conscious path? Um. I think it, it came kind of after I got into Whopper. It came at a kind of a point where I realized that I think I was about halfway through my first year at Whopper and I I realized that I had, I think I said this a little bit earlier, but I realized I had nothing left on the other side. Mm. It was the first time that I'd let myself be in a position since school where I had, I wasn't studying, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I auditioned. And on the other side of that year, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know where I was going to be. I didn't know if I wanted to continue acting because it is kind of in a weird place where it's like, oh, is this, am I ever going to get anywhere with it? I, I felt a, a strong ability in my, in my filmmaking, but I didn't feel good enough that I was going to be a worthy voice. Um, and I think that was there quite unconsciously. And it wasn't until later that I looked back and like, that was like, I was like, oh my God, that was such a pivotal moment. <laughs> Mm. And it happened without, it happened underneath me in a weird kind of way where the universe kind of like took care of me mm. without me considering that it was the universe and, and was the energy itself just moving through. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's that, probably yeah. the point that it kind of like really started to trigger. And then it was from that moment that I kind of, I remember in first year kind of looking back and going, just, just, like fuck we're alive <laughs> you started having Where? these deeper thoughts and yeah, yeah I started moving through it there, there was actually uh, there was one other moment i remember it was again it was in 2018 so this is um in my first year of training and i got home and this sounds so silly but like it can come from anything and i was at the top of my driveway and i just looked up to the sky and i saw the stars and i was like I actually don't remember the last time I looked up. Mm. Um, I don't remember the last time I saw the stars and I made a vow to myself that moment. I was like, I will never stop dreaming and being an imagination and looking up because we don't do it enough every day. Like it's constantly, constantly looking down. We don't want to make eye contact. Mm. We're kind of bringing this panic into ourselves and the anxiety of what's around us. Mm -hmm. taking a breath connecting to that diaphragmatic breath connecting low feeling your body feeling the open at your feet seeing a tree move through the wind and looking up and seeing the gigantic nature of like where we are how mm -hmm. small we are but how much we have um that was a moment for me i remember just going oh my god i don't think i've looked up to the night sky since i was about three years old mm -hmm. insane Such crazy yeah so crazy man what, what healing have you used in your life to help you sort of shift through any emotion, shift through any pain? Have you done any like breath work? Like what's been big for you? What modality? Uh, yeah, breath is huge. Um, connecting to my breath and the awareness of breath. Uh, some people say when you go to acting school, you learn how to breathe for three years. <laughs> um, and it's kind of true in so many ways. Uh, some... Uh, Taoism he healing um, ways have really helped me. Um, some Chinese kind of meditation healing with uh, 
um, sun energy and kind of and and smiling um, and joy and bringing that focusing on that awareness of the sun and bringing it to different parts of the body and seeing pain um, and being able to move move into the the noticing of pain and where it's coming from and then letting go. Um, uh, also another kind of one is like holding holding something and nurturing it. So uh, whether it be anger, um, anger or frustration or um, a, an emotion of substance that's kind of like affecting me in a certain way that I can't kind of get rid of. Um, being able to hold it and nurture it like a newborn child, seeing it to be like a... Um, Seeing, seeing myself as like a, a little child or seeing like a little naughty kid just being really angry and furious mm. and just giving giving them a hug. Um, and that kind of in turn allows my thoughts to change and, and moves past that kind of that, that feeling that I kind of can't get by. Yeah. And there there's psychological methods that I've kind of been taught and have been introduced to me um, through different ways. Like... That one, like the, the nurturing a child is one that came through um, my psychologist and like the idea of like being on a bus with the different children, which are different emotions. Um, and like the idea of like the perfectionist child who is can be very, very important in aspects of your life when you're tidying things up or organizing. But then when it comes to performance, uh, the, little, the little kid in your mind going, Oh my God, do you know your lines? Do you know your lines? Do you know your lines? Like, are you going to forget something? Is everything okay? Have you, have you got everything done? Are you sorted? Are you ready to go out on stage? Have you done the right breath warm up? Is, are you vocally ready? Those questions aren't helpful. And so being able to go, hey, buddy, it's all right. I'll give you a hug. You can go sit back there for right now. Um, because right now, I actually don't need you. I need the, the kid who's ready to have fun and be imaginative. Um, and so like being able to play with that, I think is really helpful. And also another technique that Arvo at Spandle School taught me, um, which comes from, I've forgotten the name of the actual practitioner, but you can look it up. It's called RAIN technique as an acronym, R-A-I-N, which is recognize the thought, allow the thought to be there, which again is similar to noticing, seeing that the thought's there and allowing it to actually have space and breath um, and then have interest in it and actually kind of like, play with it and be like, okay, well then, you know, what, what were you going to speak about? Why, why are you here? Um, and then nurture as the last one, which is coming back to the, the holding of it and either seeing it instead of being this big thing that engulfs your entire body or your, your brain and your prefrontal lobe, like just holding it as a small little bubble in your hands. And you can actually do this physically or literally and just um, grasping, grasping it, grasping, clasping, clasping. There we go. Clasping between your hands and letting something um, so big become so small and then letting it go almost like a butterfly um, or the idea of nurturing like a small little child and just holding it to your chest. Wow. That's beautiful. And you also did meditation, right? Some silent meditation. Yeah. So meditation is a, a huge, huge thing. So for me, it comes to yeah, guided meditation or um, silent meditation each day in the morning, um, followed by morning pages, which is something you spoke about kind of a little briefly, like before, like just journaling. So morning page is a huge part of my life. Just stream of consciousness in the morning, getting it all out on the page. Doesn't matter what you hear or what you say, put it down, let go of it. Mm, that's cool, man. That's awesome. What about your friend group? How has that, how has that changed as you, as you've changed? Has it changed? Huge, huge. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess because for, for starters, um, 
with Whopper, you're spending nine to five with 17 other people mm. um, every day of the week. And you get to know them inside out. You know, everyone's darkest, deepest secrets, how they function, how they walk, how they talk, how they move, how they sound, how they breathe. On top of that, you start to go grow close with them. So sometimes that can you know, evolve into relationships. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, sometimes you grow very close with people over a long period of time. Um, my best mate now, we were kind of like relative friends through most of first year. He's in the same year as me. And then towards the end of the year, we just got it off. We just saw one another, um, saw each other in the space in between. And so for me now, like that's probably where it is. I've got a few friends that I keep in touch with from school, um, but I don't really see too much of. Mm. Um, I have, yeah, my acting friends around me. But it's also this it's more like-minded, more more like-minded people around you now. Like-minded, yeah, definitely. Um, but it's an interesting thing with actors. Um, I'm reading this book right now called Self Management for Actors by Bonnie Gillespie, which is a magnificent book. But she talks about friendships and how friendships and acting. Um, you've got people that are there that are lifelong that will be there for you no matter what stage or success you're at, um, and are always there to you know kind of reach out and to you know hold and hug. Then you've got other people that are there as acting friends, but they're actually colleagues and you know them really well, but you're actually only there to work with them. And once you start to reach a different level of success or what have you, jealousy arises and there kind of becomes a disconnect between you and that. So I'm sure my friendships will again evolve in years to come. Um, but yeah, I've got a very close group of friends, um, you know, and also female friends as well, like super important for me um, and have been. I think now I can really speak to my male friends in my life, how I can speak to my female friends. But for a long time, um, it wasn't like that. It was like mm. the things that I struggled to talk about, I could speak to maybe one or two people that were women in my life. Um, and I couldn't speak to, to speak to men about them because I just felt as though that humiliation thing, I was going to be embarrassed. Like they're not going to, are they experience the same thing I am? Like, you know, can I actually speak to them about this? It's, um, God, you know, it's, it's damaging, but it happens. That's incredible, man. Incredible. What about this conscious journey you're on now? What's, what's one thing you're most grateful for? Oh man. I'm grateful that I'm here. Mm. And I'm grateful that I'm here that I can, I can stand on my two feet and I can smile and speak to you. Mm. Um, I'm grateful that I can see the tree in the sun outside my room right now. Um, like, I'm grateful to just be here. Yeah. And it sounds so simple, but like, man, it's magnificent. Like, it is so magnificent because without it, I'd be thinking about all these other different things and, and, and worries and anxieties and and concerns about where I'm going and what I'm doing. But because of it, I can actually just be here and connected to myself. Mm. Um, and that's enough. Mm -hmm. mm, beautiful. What's one tip you'd give your old self just starting this journey? <laughs> oh, wow. Wait. Um, stop taking everything so seriously, mate. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, stop meditating for the answer. Stop, stop meditating for enlightenment. Um, like stop, stop trying so hard. You, like, you've, you've, you've clearly studied some part of the Tao, haven't you, Taoism? 
Yeah, 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 a bit. Yeah, both Buddhism and Taoism. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you brought it up. So like, the, you're bringing up very, like, the Wu Wei concept, you know, Taoism concepts. You're bringing it up quite a bit. And, I, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've realised that, but you're talking about just being, letting it flow, stop trying. You know, yeah, you stop trying, up. being, letting go, which is huge in Taoism, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's funny. I think that's a, that'd be the the biggest my biggest thing to be like, hey mate, just uh, just chill the fuck out, yeah, mate. <laughs> chill out, mate. <laughs> it's funny. I'm, I'm like, I've got some of my friends into into meditating recently, and it's funny. Like, it's funny when you have an amazing meditation, and all you want to do sometimes is speak about it. It's like, don't, don't need to speak about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah, and and they're just it's the excitement of that that new phase too. You know, like. I'm sure we do it, you know, maybe like we have an experience, like a spiritual cosmic friggin', I don't know, experience where we travel and astral travel or whatever and we just like want to speak to it and then there's yeah. like that, our spiritual friends are just who have already done that, they're like, oh yeah, cool. You know, there's just levels to it, man, like, yeah. and then you get to the point where you're like, I don't need to say anything. Yeah. You know, I'm not at that point, um, mm. but it's nice to think that I'll be there one day. <laughs> totally i i couldn't agree with that more i think it's funny as well because like you it's it's a constant negotiation right like mm. it's a constant negotiation with self when it comes to the spiritual journey and, and just meditating and and those experiences mm. and um and like yeah it's weird because we also just want to share we want to communicate yeah. so i think it's like it's that it's that slight juggle where we've got to be able to be like yeah we can talk about this um and then other times be like don't need to mm. I ask a question, I'm just sort of feeling, just sort of sussing this out with some stuff you've said. You know, you said you were an athlete or, you you know, playing sports, you wanted to be a professional athlete, then you wanted to be like a, there was a couple of things that you just wanted to always be like the top, 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 top. Yeah. Has there been something in you from a very young age knowing that you, like there's something in you that, that knows you'll be greater or really yeah. high achieving? Yeah. I've mm. always had this this thing that it be like it's like in me the buzzes that goes. I know that no matter what I do, I will keep climbing. Mm. Um, like what does what does that mean to you? Like in in the sense now that you've sort of found that deepest alignment. What is, now? If you can't, yeah, no go. What's go, the go. platform? What's the platform that you see yourself standing on? Is it like Oscars, Golden Globe? Yeah. So like I I couldn't care too much for praise and awards. Part of me loves it, but. I think for now, me, it's actually just spreading empathy and awareness um, on the on the biggest platform that I can. But then also knowing that the platform doesn't matter because it's relative. <laughs> so like moving from the heart. So I kind of use this uh, analogy where it's like I could be performing in Melbourne in a small underground theatre to four people um, and or I could be Brad Pitt showing a film to 350,000 people worldwide and it's a huge success and makes over a billion dollars. But if I'm not moving from the heart, it doesn't fucking matter because I've got to be moving from the heart and a place of authenticity and vulnerability for those people to be able to access it. Mm. And because it's relative, it doesn't matter whether it's four people, 350,000, it's all the same time time and and everything around us that moves. It's just noise and what we put onto it. And so like the, the idea of, success and awards is something that's just that something we attribute to it um and like even the idea of like celebrity and and what we kind of put onto other people and um false gods and false prophets i just 
I don't, it just has no value in my life anymore. So for me, it's making sure and checking in that, hey, is this a project I really want to be a part of? Does it, does it move me? Does it move my heart? Spread truth. And can it spread truth and spread awareness? Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's something that has kind of like helped me. And because I know that within me, I've got this small child that's always going to be like, you're going to keep climbing, you're going to keep climbing. That's my passion and that's my drive that I know that I can rely on. It's always that. there. Yeah. That's never going to go anywhere. And I think when I figured that out last year, I, was, I think it was, it was more like the start of this year. I was like, oh, I can, I can leave that be. I don't have to keep thinking about the fact that like, oh, I've got to keep climbing, I've got to keep climbing. Because that's just, that's actually just a blessing. That's part of me that's there. Mm. What I can focus on is awareness and love and truth. Mm. Yeah, Vicious truth. My, it's my thing. It's on my, um, on my CV and it's, it's something that I really aim for in my stories is moving into an area and spreading, spreading awareness and love, but looking for vicious truth. How would you explain truth in one word? Hmm. Bit of a joke. <laughs> it's, um, it's kind of hilarious, right? Like what, what, what is truth in of itself? But I think truth in one word is is ugly and i think i feel like I, I feel like i know what you're saying and is that the sense because it's disruptive yeah it's disruptive mm. yeah it's it's ugly because we don't really want to hear it yeah, but we yeah, do yeah. and our attention's always on it because there's something about it that just like there, there's there's an ugliness which is actually a pure beauty mm. um don't get me wrong when i say ugly i don't i don't mean it in the, the general consensus of like oh like a, there's just something that really attracts us to it but we kind of like just want to leave it in the corner over there and we actually just want to stare at it but fuck, when truth when, when it gets into us it changes us it, it, it's vicious it realigns us um in ways that are just so positive that's incredible, man. Well, it's been an incredible interview, sharing your journey, brother, and, and sharing your thoughts and perspectives on things. And it's, yeah, really, it's been a long one. It's been good, every part of it. Yeah. So thank you for joining me, man. Thank you. It's been a blessing. Thank you for letting me just riff and go. Yeah, man. No, it's uh, much as much pleasure as it is for you as it is for me. So thank you to everyone listening. And, and if you do have any questions for either of us, obviously reach out. The social media bios are in the show notes and just keep on keeping on guys one step at a time each day and you'll be on your way much love And just be. I got love in my eyes, bro. I can't see. I'm gonna be who I'm destined to be. Wokeness is taking my old self away. Yeah, I put love into me. I'm spreading that love. Yo, don't you see? Grab your cacao and drink it with me. Cause wokeness is taking my old self away. Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man. Bring love and just be. Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, bring love and just be.